All right, we um, have been in a series on um, Havarot, and we had a discussion about that. There's some aspects of it that I wanted to mention, and I thought this would be a good Sunday to address that, and I've called it uh, Telling the Generation to Come from Psalm 78. But before we get that, let me just state the obvious. In some sense, the Disciple Center is unique in several ways. And I often wish that that was not the case. I don't mean I wish we were different. But I do wish that what we are as a congregation was more of a common form of congregation and faith. Uh, There are many congregations that strive to authentically live and express the faith and to work and to teach their children, as we do. But the vast majority of congregations... Uh, that are seen publicly, are focused more on church growth and financial maintenance. So today I want to talk about something that is both our emphasis and our struggle. Uh, That is to pass on this faith to the next generation. For many, this is the idea of evangelism, reaching the lost for Christ. That's certainly part of it, but it is uh, often misstated and mistaught. God's plan for the propagation of this faith is not first and foremost reaching the lost. It is passing the faith on from generation to generation. If this is done, then the people of God will increase as they reproduce the next generation and inculcate in them this faith. Then, in addition to that, the good news will be proclaimed to those who have not heard of the God of Israel, and they will convert And then they will engage in reproducing and proclaiming. In other words, if all we do is reach out to the lost uh, and we don't reproduce another generation, the gospel will simply stay among a very small group. This idea of it spreading throughout the, the world is both the reproduction of a generation and the proclamation to those who don't know the Lord. So, the method for God increasing his people is reproduction and proclamation, and that's the order. Uh, And the evangelicals and Baptists, to some extent, have almost dropped the first, the reproduction part, and we are becoming weaker and weaker at the form of the latter, that is, bringing people to a knowledge of the Lord. Um, So, with that in mind, I want you to turn to Psalm 78. I want to read this. Uh, My big struggle was not um, uh, what to say, it was how many verses to use, because this is dealt with all through the scriptures, but I found Psalm 78 to kind of express it in a way that I think will be uh, clear and fresh. 78 uh, Psalm, beginning of verse 1, says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength, and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, 
that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, this is really an important uh, notion. It's the idea of telling the generation to come. That's not the lost. That's the generation that's being produced. That's the generation of the children to teach their children. And you're not teaching the children just to teach them, but to go beyond that. So, we have capsulized in this psalm the initial plan of God to create a people, Israel, who would reproduce generation after generation, who know God, who know His works and His covenants, and keep His commandments. And the focus was always to be on the generation to come. Those, here the the scripture says, not yet born. So, uh, that idea, Dr. Lewis and I have been calling for years the third generation principle. Probably not the best term, because it still sounds like when you say the third generation, okay, then that's done. But this notion of the generation not yet born, for some of us, is not a third generation, but a fourth generation. Many of us will see the third generation. We'll grow up in the generation with two generations behind us, and then we'll see the generations come after us, possibly our children and our children's children. But then beyond that is the generation yet to be born. So um, I want us to think about about that. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, a passage you're very familiar with. And the reason I bring this one up is because he says he's established a testimony in Jacob. It's important to understand that it's not our testimony that convinces people to come to God. It is God's testimony in his people. It is God's interaction. God established in Jacob his reputation and his name, and he established a law in Israel, Jacob's name being changed to Israel, that people of God who would manifest and express and be a light to the nations of who God is. Knowing God is known through the revelation of God. And as I've said before, I think that Israel is in part a revelation of God. So in Deuteronomy... Six, we have this Shema passage, and it's a passage that we know well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. So, first place is, you accept them, you know them, you do them. Then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, And talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You will write them on your doorposts and on your gates. And will come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns which you did not dig and plants which you uh, did not plant, uh, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. 
This idea is that God has done great things and they can be forgotten in a generation. The generation must tell the next generation what God has done. And as I have often said, it's not just to say what God has done in the scriptures, but what God has done throughout history, what God is doing in our own families, and, and what we expect that he will do in the generation to come. So, this establishes God's approach for maintaining his people. We are to know, to do, and to teach our children and our grandchildren. Many of the verses include the grandchildren. And by doing this, they will maintain their relationship to God and ensure that for the generation to come. And also, the stranger will see and learn of God by their example as a light to the nations. Now, you say, okay, that's all well and good, but that's Israel. Uh, What about uh, Gentiles? Well, back to a passage that we're all familiar with, Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is when they uh, are arguing over whether Gentiles who come to the Lord are going to have to be circumcised and obey all the commandments. And in other words, they have to become Israel because God is only saving Israel. Well, the truth is God is saving his entire creation, including the Gentiles. And so in verse 13 we have, And they stopped speaking, and James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Uh, Simeon, that's Simon Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written, Also, after these things, I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Notice, they don't go to the, uh, they don't go to the, um, uh, I mean, my, my throat is drying up on me here. They don't go to the Great Commission and say, we're told to go among the nations. They understood the Great Commission as going among the nations to tell the diaspora of Israel that the kingdom was about to be established. It is later that the mystery of the gospel is clear that it's also to the Gentiles. But it's to the Gentiles in slightly different perspective. Because we are not under the law, we are not part of the covenant, and we come from the mystery of the gospel to be a people taken from the nations to be for his name. So, in that sense, we bear the name of God, and those Gentiles are first called Christians in Antioch. And so, uh, there is, in a sense, two people, and Paul tells us in Ephesians, Those two peoples, the nations and Israel, are made one in the Messiah. And so that's really important. Now, the problem of one is a perennial problem because it's the problem of marriage to become one, which one, right? Uh, We don't become Israel. Israel doesn't become the nations. But somehow we become one new man, meaning one new humanity. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do believe that it's not a matter of 
Jew and Gentile. It's Jew and Gentiles. I'm using my fingers. People who are listening to us won't catch it. It's a Jewish expression of the faith and then a Mexican, Japanese, British, English, American, uh, Chilean version of the faith. And that's what Paul was trying to do to bring the redeemed remnant of the nations in connection to the remnant of Israel so that in the kingdom there will be a new humanity when Jesus sits on the throne of Israel, the, the twelve apostles on the twelve thrones of the tribes, and then there will be the nations ruled by him with a rod of iron, and there will be people who are in place of governorship in that context. We have no idea what that is because for the most part we've had an all-millennial view that we just all go to heaven and there's just one unique spirituality or we've had a pre-millennial idea that somehow God was an American, Jesus was born in Oklahoma and so we'd all end up being kind of like the evangelical American church. That is not it at all. So we're going to have in the kingdom, Israel and the nations, a people called out for God's name. And we will see, in some sense, a redemption of our culture, not our, not our government. A redemption of our culture as it's manifest. And that's part of what we're trying to do in this context. Now, this idea of God taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name is us. And we as a people need to follow the pattern that God has set. We are to reproduce households of children who fear the Lord, obey His commands, and can also share this good news to others. But we are not to neglect that plan of God. So how does that plan work? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're given some information on that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The household and the family is the place of the instruction of the generation to come. The fathers are given the responsibility and the task is to the parents, both mom and dad, uh, to see that this is accomplished. But the important part here is that the generation to come must be in our minds and in our intent. We are not simply teaching our children. We are teaching our children so that they will be able to teach their children. And they will be able to teach their children. The focus is on the generation to come. Those yet to be born. This precious faith, once for all delivered to the saints, is a way of life. Both temporal and eternal life. Which is learned and practiced in the home. Reinforced and expanded in the congregation and the community. And the focus is to be on the generations to come. We cannot maintain the faith in its entirety and pass it along fully if we reduce it simply to getting saved. I talk to parents all the time and they say, well, the important thing is that my kids are saved. Are they living a biblical life? No, but they're saved. That's, it's you know, what I call the layaway plan. 
Uh, at Christmas, we always have the layaway, put a little deposit down, you keep paying on it. Then they come back Christmas Eve and pick the item up. Well, a lot of Christians have that kind of thing. I said the magic words, I'm on layaway. Jesus will come back and get me. In the meantime, I've got to live my own life. No, we live a life following him, and that's passed on from generation to generation. Now, yesterday, my household attempted to fulfill this pattern of God's people as we celebrated the baptism of my sister-in-law and two of my granddaughters. One a daughter of my son, one a daughter of my daughter. It was witnessed by many of you, and it included my father-in-law and my son in the officiating of the ordinances. Four generations of Linda's family were present. In my case, three generations. I'm the first one to see a son make it past 17. My dad died when I was 17. My grandfather died when my dad was 17. First generation to see a son married and see your children's children. Uh, I am constantly, always, daily aware of that blessing of God. To see my children have faith and their children have faith is really important. Not that they're saved. It's not the issue is or is you ain't God's baby. But they're actually struggling with how to live this faith. Uh, Jacqueline talked to me about um, what she's going to be doing with this camp thing and all the opportunities she's got and really taking seriously that this is affecting other people. There is affecting the lost in that context, but it's about this idea of the generations to come in that sense. So we had uh, multiple generations uh, giving testimony to the Lord in that context. But I was and really am aware that a generation to come is to be in focus. At some point, my grandchildren will reproduce. We talked. (laughs) They told me to wait a while. All right? Uh, They will reproduce and they will raise their children in the faith. And that will not be easy. Raising Bruce and Cheryl in the faith was infinitely easier than raising my grandchildren in the faith because of the assimilation and potential persecution that's coming. And so we have to be clear about this. I hope to instill in my grandchildren the ability and desire to raise their children in the faith because assimilation is rampant and the rumblings of persecution are all around us. So what we did yesterday should be a common and normal part of what we all do. And watching your families come to witness that, I'm thinking... You will be able to do it too and I'll I'll be able to watch that as you are baptizing and confirming your children. Not with the idea of just getting them in the kingdom, but with the focus that there is a generation yet to be born. And that they also are part of our focus. 
We live the faith in the home. Now, we don't live the faith perfectly in the home. I loved what Bill said. That passage in Romans is both a frustration and a comfort to me. Uh, that my inner man desires so much for all of the manifestation of God to be done in our home. And then there's the reality, right? The reality is not always what we wish it were, right? It's always, it's not, you know, uh, test, and everything we do in the home is not testimonially uh, presentable, right? Uh, in, that, in that kind of sense. Uh, but the reality is we know what we're striving towards. We know what the pathway is and we're trying to bring that pathway around. Um, we practice that faith in the home. As a congregation, we come together so that we can assist one another in this task. Our goal is not the salvation of our children and grandchildren, though we certainly desire that. Our goal is to be a people taken from among the Gentiles for his name, that expresses in our lives and in our homes and in our relationships several things. One, the fear of the Lord. That is, taking God and his word seriously. That's them putting, as the psalmist says, their confidence in the Lord. It's one thing to trust God for salvation, we have to trust him for Monday. We have to trust him for traffic. We have to trust him for surgeries. We have to trust him for all the problems of life. Uh, knowing he will never leave us nor forsake us. But he doesn't pull us out of those things. So having confidence in the Lord is not this panacea. It's the idea that God will be with me even through this. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him, as Job says. So the fear of the Lord uh, is an important thing. I believe fear of the Lord turns to faith in the Lord and into full confidence in the Lord. Secondly, the testimony of the Lord. We must be able to share with our children that the the works and deeds that God has done in the earth and that he continues to do, there is a danger in thinking that God worked in the past and he does nothing now. Now it's true, if you read the scriptures, there are periods of time where God's not evident and periods of time where he's directly manifest. Many of us, in fact I dare say most of us, will live in the book of Esther not in the book of Exodus. In Exodus, God's showing up all the time. He's doing special effects. It's constant. And even then, the people aren't being faithful. In the book of Esther, God is hardly mentioned. And yet, his watch care is ever-present. So, we may be Esther Christians, not Exodus Christians. But the idea is, our kids need to know that there is the presence of God in all of our life. That's why secularism and automatic naturalism is such a danger for us to let our kids succumb to. Third, the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord is experienced through rituals of life cycle and the holy days. And I am thrilled when I watch some of the pictures you guys have put up as you're doing Advent and those kind of things. Uh, I was, I, there was an, there's an epiphany of God 
in the in the being able to remember baptizing my children and now baptizing my my granddaughters from both of my children. What a what a blessing uh, that was. And then uh, Jack started to cry and she about messed me up. You know, I've had two times when I just got almost to the point where I knew I was going to lose. I had to pull it together. One was. Um, my son's wedding, just as I started to say Cindy's name, I couldn't talk. And I choked and I got through it. And then yesterday with Jackie, I almost had the same problem. Um, But the knowledge of the Lord is experience. We know the Lord through experience as we behave the truth in the rituals and in the rituals and the holy days, we are reminded and, and reinforced in the truths of what they represent. And then ultimately, we want our children to be uh, developed to the point of the wisdom of the Lord. And wisdom of the Lord does not come by prayer. It doesn't come by um, uh, study. It doesn't come by going to church. It comes by being a hearer and doer of the word. And in the doing and that experience of doing ultimately becomes insight and in that we have the wisdom of God. So, I know you're worried that I'm going to go long. I'm not. I timed that this was going to be longer today. So, we're set. During this Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany time, I hope you will consider the generation to come. Those not yet born. Not planning what their names are going to be. Or where are we going to put them. None of that. But realizing that as we teach ourselves. As we teach our children. As we teach our grandchildren. Those who have all been born. We are doing it. To reinforce this faith to the level that it will extend to the generation to come. Those not yet born. And let us be prepared to assist our fellow believers. Who have not been taught fully in the Lord. So that they may also focus on the generation to come. Uh, It is amazing to me how many people simply say, I'm saved, my kid's saved. Uh, That's all that matters. That's wonderful. That's incredible. But what matters now is where we go from here. And that is into the future with the generations to come. And let us also be ready to share with those who ask why we're different. Why we're doing these kinds of things. Why are we spending that much time uh, teaching our kids? How, How come we're doing all of these Holy days. You don't have to do it to be saved. Of course you don't have to do it to be saved. But you have to do it to be fully understanding of what it's about. And you don't have to do it constantly. It's not a legalistic thing. It's the idea of tying that experience into our lives so that we reinforce it for the sake of ourselves and our household and the generation to come. So that others as well might find him and become a people for his name. Let's pray.